Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Welcome to the Mo Show podcast. Today we have Lina Hashim, someone who I wanted on the show for the longest time. For whatever reason, our paths didn't cross, and here we are today, and I'm super fortunate. Welcome, Lina. Thank you for having me here today. I'm Thank so you. excited. I, I am even more excited, honestly, because <laughs> it's episodes like yours where the audience really gravitate towards because it's it's about self-help. It's about stories. You as a therapist, how did I help this person? And how do you how do you overcome the anxieties and stress of life? And um, and it's something that I feel a lot of people will be able to extract good from. Um, so I'm equally excited to have you here, maybe even more than, than you are excited <laughs> to be here. Um, your, your journey into therapy, Lena, it started when and, and what prompted you to want to become one? So I wasn't always the easiest child. And, you know, back then parents didn't necessarily send you to a therapist. I didn't really know what was going on. I, I had a, a rough time as a child and I was pretty problematic and I did things, uh, you know, when I look back, if I probably had a therapist, I would have been uh, in a different place at that time, but everything happens for a reason. So when I was 16, I started university. I was a bit young. I moved to Miami and psychology seemed like my calling. I was really passionate about self-exploration and healing. And there was so much I needed to learn about myself because I, I wasn't necessarily happy with myself. I wasn't happy with the person I was. Uh, so I, for my own self-fulfilling prophecy, I went into psychology to figure myself out. And I wasn't exactly sure if this is for me. So I... You know, I did three years. Uh, during my fourth year, at, when I was 19, I decided, living in Miami, I needed something to keep me in line a little bit. So I started working at a juvenile detention in Jackson Memorial Hospital, which was affiliated with the University of Miami, which is where I went. And I feel that that work experience was what made me realize that I'm doing what I'm meant to mm -hmm. be doing because I was basically um, dealing with kids who were from the ages of 13 to 18 who were court-ordered, who were picked up off the streets, uh, drug addicts, solicitors, thieves, uh, born into really unfortunate situations and sent to this juvenile detention to be treated. And it was shocking and devastating. I'm sure you can imagine for me growing up in Saudi, extremely sheltered, uh, we didn't have satellite back then. The only exposure to the West really was Channel 2 Full House. <laughs> so that was quite an extreme dealing with and seeing uh, these these poor children, teenagers, what they were going through. And it made me realize, wow, I'm really fortunate. Uh, but I had young girls who were pregnant at 13, 14. I remember there was a case where a girl was, you know, um, had AIDS, uh, pregnant, left on the streets to be uh, solicited. It was awful. Uh, a boy who was 13 years old, addicted to crack, who couldn't even complete a sentence. And I remember going home and crying and feeling this world is so unfair. And what made me realize that I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing, which is psychology, is when I would watch their journey and see how they they improved with the right environment and 
therapy and attention and, and time, it made me feel that there is hope and everyone can change. And I wanted to be a part of that change. So I think that's when I realized I'm doing the right thing. How much has what you saw in your in your early days in, in, in Miami, like how much has it affected you in wanting to pursue? Was it like, that's it? Um, you know what? I, I want to help this ugly side of humanity that exists. Was that the point when you felt that you wanted to do your part for society? I would say that that's when I knew that I was studying what I was meant to be studying. And, you know, you have to remember, I was only 19, so I was a child myself. And it it helped me really connect and learn how to connect uh, with that age group. Teenagers, you know, and kids are our future. And sometimes people are put in situations or grow up in unfortunate environments that don't really give them a chance. And seeing the way this place really helped these children inspired me. And I knew that I wanted to pursue higher education from that point on. Normally, when 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 we start uh, episodes, it's uh, it's cheerful. It's you know, what have you been up to recently? You know, right. how are you? How's, so, um, <laughs> forgive me if I'm a little, uh, you know, off balance or out of my comfort zone because you you know you you started with uh, what I can only describe as fireworks, and I wasn't ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I'm glad you did because this is you know something that needs to be addressed, and I'm glad that it was addressed in the beginning. And it's uh, reality. It's reality. It's it's reality. It's life. It's 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 reality. So yeah. when you when you said uh, pregnant girls and AIDS at the age of thirteen and fourteen, <laughs> I, I haven't heard such right crazy craziness. Absolutely, not at that age. Right. It was it was devastating. It was really difficult, and I think that experience. And I was there for almost three years. Working there, definitely, I've developed thick skin because of it, and it's helped me through my journey as a therapist, for sure. And so, I'm so thankful. So sorry to interrupt. So the, the effects being exposed to, to what you were exposed to at the age of 19 had a positive, you managed to, to make it a positive. I made it positive. Venom. Right. It could have torn me down or it could have been my superpower. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it is. I believe that I, even though I had a difficult time dealing with it, I was able to look at it in a different way and think, okay, this is what the world's like. I can't change what's happened, but I can try to change what or help people change their lives around them and change their individual experiences. What's to come, yeah. Yeah. Therapy has a different interpretation for many people. Mm -hmm. Those who seek it, those who don't, uh, those who want to, those who never want to. how would you define therapy in, in all the years that you have been practicing it um, to, you know, the ears that either resisted it or haven't uh, tried it yet? How would you mm. define the process of therapy? I know it's a broad question, but how would you tackle it? Uh, therapy is, I feel when people reach a point where they've tried everything. Or even if they haven't tried everything, they just feel that they need someone who's objective to help them have a better understanding of themselves or what they're going through. It really helps to go see a therapist and talk and and figure out what areas in their lives 
need to change? What do they need to tackle? Uh, educating them. You know, education is power. And that's something I, I really want to stress on because once people come in and they decide to have, you know, to seek therapy and they get educated as to what's happening, that's half the battle. You know, understanding what is happening in your brain, what's going on in your life gives you the power to control it and know how to deal with it. It's incredible. How do you feel about the future in, in regards to increased levels of anxiety and, and, and worry? And it's something I don't want to think about, but I have to think about because I have a kid and, and you have three, mashallah. Yeah. Do you ever think of the future and like what, you know, what kind of world our, our kids will be growing up in? So what's changed now in comparison to before is social media and the internet. And there is so much pressure on on us to be the perfect person, the perfect mother, perfect father, child. Uh, there's so much pressure for perfection and perfection doesn't exist. And when you're constantly bombarded by these images that are filtered and edited, you you almost forget that perfection doesn't exist because you see it in front of you. And so you're, you're fooled by what you see, even if you're aware of it. So as adults, we know that and we still are impacted. Imagine these, this young generation, what they're going through. And that's why, I mean, I have an 11 year old and she's always fighting me to get a phone and I, I'm refusing, I'm holding. Until now, huh? Yeah, I'm refusing. I just, I see what it can do to to young children and it scares me you know when you asked me am i afraid for my children i am absolutely but i can't change the world the world is changing so rapidly the only thing i can do is try to instill values and build a really close relationship with my children and teach them right from wrong to the best of my ability but we can't change the world the world's only getting worse you know you switch on the news <laughs> i tell all my anxious clients do not watch the news <laughs> you switch it on and it's you know flesh eating viruses people are dying uh, war uh, poverty kids going in and shooting you know shooting mm. massacre in schools it is just the most depressing thing to be watching on a and my husband and I used to watch the news all the time we've stopped not because we we're anxious but more it's just so sad what's happening in this world so definitely it does provoke anxiety um Dr. Google you know <laughs> when I was a child it gets you know I'd be sick my parents would take me to a specialist now what do we do my son has a headache a temperature, I go on to Google, I research what it is, and then it comes up with the most extreme uh, diagnosis. So something I definitely want your viewers to, to pay attention to, and just do not Google uh, medical diagnoses. Go to a specialist. Do Be old school with that, because it will take you down a really ugly road. I recently read that um, Google, Apple, Facebook... And all the companies they own were uh, established by people who played on their bicycles outside when they were younger. Of course. <laughs> Which of course. painted a, a scary picture. What, what are the current youngsters who aren't outside in the fresh air, who aren't getting fresh oxygen, who aren't getting vitamin D, what are they going to, you know, you'd hope that they invent stuff that is better than Apple, that's better than Google, that's better than Facebook and its companies. 
But if you're indoors constantly consuming what those companies have created, it, 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 to be honest, it creates a, a pretty bleak future. Right. And also communication, communication. and social skills. They don't, they, you know, they go out into the world, they can't pick up on normal social skills, uh, social cues. Uh, see, you know, they communicate through messaging uh, with, I think it's, it's very easy for them to communicate behind the screen rather than in person. And it really affects them socially also. My problem with my son watching the iPad from time to time, now that you mention it, mm -hmm. is that it's one way communication. For sure. That's detrimental. Makes their brain lazy. And um, it's not normal. No, it's not normal. It, life is, is, it will never be about one, one way communication, yeah. ever. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll have clients bring in their two, three-year-old and say, oh, I think my child is autistic. And their child will be disconnected, no eye contact, uh, doesn't communicate or mesh well with others. Seems to have, you know, all the signs that he could be autistic. But then when I sit down with the parents and I really understand how this child spends their time behind a screen, no one communicates with him or her, no one uh, is, they're not creating a stimulating environment to encourage uh, communication skills, social skills. And so I'll, what I'll do is I'll tell them, okay, let's try something out. Take a complete break for six months. No iPad. N completely. And they, they get really scared because the iPad is the best kind of nanny. Uh, but I'll say no iPad and minimal TV time. And I promise you, six months later, that child, and, it, you know, and they're put, they give them things to do with their kids, you know, play with them, spend time with them, go outside, ride a bike read to them in six months you see a completely different child reverse a child that's connecting you know in this world in this generation i feel we are very connected but at the same time extremely disconnected yeah how funny the irony mm. yeah so does mental health problems do they develop or stem from a young age if you are you know, prone to the iPad or not getting fresh air, or if you are a product from your environment, can 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 that cause mental mental health issues growing up? So if I was to start from the very beginning, so when a child is born, they take 50% of each parent. And God knows what their parents have given them, you know, their predispositions. And based on their environment and what they see in their parents, the interactions, uh, the exposure to iPad, it, it makes parent, it makes the children either better or worse. So I'm going to elaborate a little bit on that. So when a, a baby is born, their brain, the size of their brain, is roughly a quarter size of an adult's. By the time they're one, it's doubled. By the time they're three, it's 80%. By the time they're five, it's 90%. So you have to think about how quickly their brain develops. They are a sponge. So it is so important. These five years are the most important years of a person's life. This is their foundation, their building blocks. And what's so exciting and sometimes missed is parents get a front row seat. They are you know, their school of life. And I always tell my clients, I ask them, 
what kind of school of life are you? So if your child, because your child's learning when they cry, what happens, when they laugh, when they make a mistake, well, how do you react to that? What do you do? If your child went to a school at four years old, three years old, and made a mistake and the teacher smacks your child, what would you do? And most parents tell me, well, I'd be very upset. I'd take him out of the school. I, I'll throw a chair at the teacher. <laughs> throw a chair at the teacher. So why does it make it okay that you do it? If you are the most, you know, the parents, the caregivers are the most important people in this innocent, vulnerable child's life who just wants to learn. And it's going to, he or she will only learn from the environment he's in and the interactions. So we need to provide them with the best environment. But we have to remember, we're not perfect, as we have stated earlier. Mm. So we will make mistakes, right? But we can't expect our children to be perfect also. Children are meant to make mistakes to learn. So if a child makes a mistake, what should we do? Do we shame them? Do we put them down? Do we hit them? Or do we teach them in a way that will actually teach them? You know, you hit someone, you shut them up. They become fearful of you or they become a bully themselves. You want to teach them the right way through respect, appreciation, um, empowering them because you're giving your children the tools of life. If I was to ask you as a parent to your adorable son, how would you describe, if you were a school of life, how would you describe it? Are you proud of it? Are there things that you do that you wish to change or you feel maybe he's not benefiting or are there things that you're, you're proud of? You know, we learn from our parents. Hopefully we learn from their mistakes. We don't replicate them. Um, and we try to do better and we want better for our children too. So if, again, if you were a school of life and you are for your son, how would you describe your role, your school? So interaction to answer your question is uh is, is is my school of life you know being there av available as, as as much as i can but you know what scares me where do you draw the line between and i read this recently in a book where do you draw the line between being there for your kids giving them all the support you need against protecting them from the real world mm. and the atrocities that happen there because we shield them from the world in the house, but when they enter the real world, it's not as glamorous and, 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 and comforting over there as it is in, at home. And, you know, a lot of parents take the, the strict role of, you know, I'm preparing you for the real world and all that. That's not my, it's my philosophy. I don't know how to do that. Mm. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I just don't know how to be that strict military you know military grade parent mm -hmm. but at the same time i look i'm like okay all the comfort and love and and you know you're amazing at what you do and all that that i'm giving to him at the house when you enter the real world the real world is about rejection it's about being left out it's about you know being spoke of mm -hmm. it's about being made fun of it's about being bullied or bullying yourself like it's an ugly world over there right. so not to flip the question on you but i have a question you know in my answer to you, where do you draw the line between cushioning them and preparing them for the real world? Because right. I, I don't know, Lena. I mean, you want them to have, you know, 
you don't want them to believe that the world is such an ugly place also. You know, you want them to grow it during these formative years. You want them to feel secure, feel safe, uh, feel loved. Giving them that quality time is essential. If there's any time to give them quality time, it's at this stage. Of course, every stage they need us, but this stage especially. So what you want to do is you want to encourage them to get into sports, into activities, um, build their self-confidence, not turning them into a complimentary junkie. You're the best. You're amazing. You're Because no. They're not. There's always someone who's better, who's smarter, who's more capable. But it's more about focusing on their efforts, their capabilities, working on their skills, empowering them through uh, positive reinforcement rather than, oh, you're not good enough. You're not uh, smart enough. What's wrong with you? Why do you keep making mistakes? You, you want to say what you want to see in them. So you're capable. You're smart. Okay, so you want to encourage that, but you don't want to also let them know that this world is such an ugly place. They will learn that. So you want to build them up. You're going to give them those tools of life and then they're going to go into the world and they're going to have to fend for themselves like we all did. Strong enough to adapt. They're going to have to adapt. Exactly. Confidence is key with children and at any age, even now as adults, you know, confidence is what gets you through helps you through when you believe in yourself then you can pretty much do yeah. anything you, you you hear about that a lot the most the best thing you can do for your kids is 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 reinforcements in them knowing that you believe in them right. that that could be you know the only ingredient they need to be the best version version of themselves but can i just say also self-confidence comes from us as parents Spending time with them. You know, we are the most important people in their lives. So when we spend time with them, in their minds, their simple minds, they think, I'm important. They love me. They're, they're here with me. So it is really essential for you to put aside time and give your son the time that he needs. And it's not about hours on end. It's about the quality. Mm-hmm. I have some moms who are home all day long do nothing with their children, nothing. Where a working parent will come home, play, read, engage. That is a lot more beneficial than the mm-hmm. mom that's home all day. Right. But we went to Al-Ula a year ago. He still talks to me about al mm-hmm. When can we go? Like it's too bloody cold right now. Let's just wait a month. <laughs> <laughs> he remember, he remembers Even though you were there last week, it was I, freezing, I, I, I went, it? I went, I went alone. Right. He, oh, he, he right. wasn't with me and, okay. it, and it killed me that he wasn't there with me. Um, but uh, they, they remember experiences a lot more than a material thing that you get Absolutely. them. Absolutely. Um, and it's... But know. that can change with time. So that's why it really is important for you to instill that early on in life where that quality time is part of your family values. Mm-hmm. You need to give him that time because as they get older, they move away from us. Yeah. They don't want us anymore. Yeah. Now it's like, Baba, put me to bed. Read me a story. I'm like, okay, you know, we're exhausted. It's been a long day at work, but still push yourself because it means the world to them. Speaking of parents mm-hmm. and uh, the role that your father had on you. Yes. He is known in Jeddah and Saudi Arabia mm. uh, in his role as a, prac- uh, as a pediatrician. 
and a very famous one, inshallah. Did he have uh, an effect on, on, on you wanting to enter the, the field of, of helping people? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I, my father is my inspiration. I mean, I just talking about him makes me, gets me emotional. Um, he is so passionate about what he does and loves, loves, loves his patience, his work, that it really <laughs> resonates with, you know, people every single day growing up. And I, and I swear to you, every single day, people would come when they'd find out that that my dad is who he is they would have something good to say about him mashallah and i grew up with that but i have to say i was a little bit angry with him because he wasn't there my dad was always working his second wife was his job his patients were his other children so it was a difficult thing for me. My poor mom had to take care of me on her own. And I'm so sorry, mom. Um, I drove her really crazy. But it's okay. Everything, you know, works out. But I, I'll say when things changed for me. You know, my dad, I was actually quite afraid of him when I was a child. I didn't have a clo very close relationship with him. I would say things changed. Um, I'll tell you when. So we were... And I remember this this moment. We were all having lunch, and lunch was a must. It was the only time of the day that we'd see my dad besides Fridays. And we all had to be available and present. I was maybe eight or nine years old at the time. And I remember we were all sitting around the, the table, and we hear someone screaming outside, screaming and yelling. And we all run outside, see what's going on. We lived two minutes away from Nura building, which is where my dad's uh, old office was. Literally, wherever we lived, the office is right next door. Smart man. And so we all run outside to, to, you know, to see what's going on. And we see this father, I'll never forget it, carrying this little boy, lifeless in his arms, screaming. He was running to Nura building. And my dad, and he's like, I was coming to see you, I was coming to see you. He runs in, my dad shoes us away. Of course, me, me being the, the cheeky child that I was, I went and I peeked through the window and I watched him perform CPR on this little boy. I, don't, I can't remember how, maybe five, six years old. And you or, no, or the boy? the boy, boy was about five, six years old. And he performed CPR. And I mean, to me, the boy was gone. Just, that was it. It was very emotional. With, with a matter of time, I started to see there was a bit of movement in the boy. You see the father's face change, my dad. And suddenly this boy came to life. So you can imagine as an eight or nine-year-old what I thought, what I saw. I, I saw my, my dad has magical powers. He brings people to life. And that's when I knew that my dad was doing what he's meant to be doing. And I understood it. It was then that I, and I was no longer angry after that. I, I got it and I understood that this is what he should be doing. And it made me just so proud of him. I, I am, he's, he's incredible. So I would say that's when things changed between me and him, I realized. <laughs> what a story, what a hero. Uh, you mentioned something about the counseling process uh, and, and the journey that it takes for your client uh, to go through that process of, of counseling. Can you just touch on what that experience is like, perhaps for those who know nothing about therapy? Okay. 
So clients uh, will come in. They either are in a situation that they have tried everything and they haven't been able to figure things out or they feel stuck or don't understand what's going on. So anyways, they, they make the appointment, they show up. Sometimes they don't even know why they're there. And when they come in, I introduce myself. I give them a little bit about my background and I tell them, you know, confidentiality, trust, honesty, those things are very important. But what's really important, especially in this part of the world, is understanding that therapy is not a quick fix. It takes time. So that's part of that introductory part. Once we've established that, we create a relationship between us, uh, which sets, you know, where they sit down and I tell them, okay, I want you to start from the very beginning and I want you to tell me about your earliest memory and kind of go through it, like as if you're looking through a photo album of the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, and they take me through that journey and it sets the stage for what is to come. Then the next part is um, assessing the problem together. So all of this is collaboration. I'm not going to, I don't have a magic wand. I'm not going to change everything and fix everything. So then together we assess what the problem is. We see the triggers. We go more in depth, family, school, work, relationships, all different things that may be triggering this individual. Then last and during that stage actually we I educate them a lot because I really believe a lot of therapists don't educate their clients as to what is happening mm. here so when they when the client knows what's happening here they're able to tackle it better and then the last part is setting realistic goals and I will stress on the fact that they are realistic and they're small steps so not to overwhelm them and we go through that journey together and it's 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 a beautiful thing to to witness and i learn from my clients every single day it's it's an incredible they learn from me and i learn from them it's so, wonderful yeah, it's, uh, it's it's definitely two way communication there oh, for sure what kind of uh, therapy practices do you offer okay so there are two different kinds of uh, therapy that i do offer depending on what is going on or what the presenting problem is. So one is client-centered therapy, which I love. It's non-directive. The client takes the reins, takes me the way that he or she wants to go. And here it's really important for uh, me as a therapist to be congruent with my clients, to be genuine, to have unconditional positive regard, to be accepting, to be empathetic, uh, to really be that support for them. So a lot of the times I find these clients, it's more of a venting session or need to increase their self-awareness or they just they just need a bit of guidance. Yeah. Lena, can I say something? Sure. Venting feels good. Oh. Whenever I vent, I I, I, I just... I'm like, wow, that just feels like so much weight is off my shoulders now. Why do you think that is? Because you've addressed it. You put it out there. You've taken it out of here and you've put it on the table or to your other person. Right. Yeah. And sometimes it doesn't even have to be to another. It can be a piece of paper. Or in a paper. That you burn afterwards. Yeah. You know, putting it out there and looking at it. Sometimes in our heads, it's so much worse than when you mm -hmm. write it down. So... The second type of therapy, which is a lot more directive. So these are two different extremes. 
uh, is cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. uh, CBT, which is incredible. You change the way people think. You know, you, you figure out uh, thoughts that, thought patterns that are not serving any sort of purpose. If anything, they're holding you back in life. Yeah. And you help them target it and change it and understand it. And where does it come from? You know, this is a really important thing. We need to understand where it comes from. Why is it there? And then once we do, then what are we going to do about it? How are we going to change it? Yeah. We need to change our story. We need to change our script. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very powerful. Is there a condition or a type of therapy from what you have done mm. that you feel is the most challenging or difficult to conduct? A type of therapy? I would say it's more about the resistant client <laughs> rather than the type of therapy. You know, when you have a client that comes in and doesn't want to be there, it's being forced. And I've definitely seen my fair share of that. They are in denial, don't really want to be treated, don't care. Those are the ones that are difficult. I wouldn't say it's the kind of therapy. I would just say the resistant client. Um, I had a, a, a few years ago a client, and I'll never forget it. A, a mom didn't tell her daughter she was taking her to see a therapist. <laughs> Takes her daughter. We're going to see the doctor uh, just to check on you, you know, for school, a regular checkup. And she brought her, and you know, I have this big plaque on my door, psychologist Lena Hashem, and she saw it, and she had a complete meltdown. And her mom kind of forced her into my office. And so I went close to her to try to, you know, just, you know, take a seat. It's okay. Everything's going to be fine. Let's give it a try. She grabbed me and she bit me. Oh, my God. <laughs> so hard. So I had teeth marks for, for a week. And it was, I wasn't upset. I, I, I was shocked. But to me, it just made me realize this, this girl really needs is troubled and needs mm. help. And I was actually sad that they never came back again. <laughs> so a client that doesn't want to be treated is what's difficult, not the actual. I feel anyone can change. The resistance is yeah, the, the challenge. Yeah, the resistance is. <clears throat> but anyone that wants to change can change. That's true. If you put in the time, you persistent, consistent, you can change. The old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Absolutely. Applies here. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seek therapy yourself? I have. I have. I I had to when I was studying, and I was one of those uh, clients in denial. I don't have anything wrong with me. <laughs> I had so much wrong with me. I had no idea. Um, and I, I remember it took me several therapists before I actually connected and the one I connected with was an older man. And it makes sense to me because I guess he was very wise and reminded me of my father. So he was someone I really respected and listened to. So yes, I have, and I still continue to have a therapist now. Mm -hmm. uh, it helps balance me and my mind, keeps things in perspective. It's, it's funny, you know, you never think that uh, even therapists require therapy. Of course, we definitely need it. And your, ther <laughs> your therapist probably has a therapist. Sure. Lena, your profession requires you to listen to people's problems. Right. And uh, I cannot help but think that you take those stories with you and, you know, they probably keep you up late at night. It's something that you think about in the day, you know, you're human. Uh, 
How much uh, of the stories that you had to hear from your years in therapy, uh, have they weighed down on you post-therapy session? Being a therapist can be extremely rewarding, but at the same time can be extremely emotionally draining. And when I'm not taking care of myself, in a sense, uh, my life isn't balanced, I do find that therapy or the sessions that I have definitely can drain me. So because I've been exposed to a lot of stories when I was younger, as I said earlier, it, I developed this thick skin. But yes, I am human. And I'm actually a very emotional person. And I have to keep it together in those sessions. And I hear really heart-wrenching, difficult stories that I just want to sit and cry with them or hug them or tell them everything's going to be okay. Well, I can't do that because I don't know if everything's going to be okay. So definitely I have felt drained, uh, you know, therapist burnout, as they say. And it's difficult, but I know when that happens. That happens when I'm not taking care of myself. So... It's difficult, but unfortunately, I've learned that this is life. Everyone gets dealt a hand in life, and no matter what hand you get, you can always play it where you can still be, even if you have five twos, let's say, an ace being the highest. If you play your cards right, you can win. So I always have hope. So even when I hear the worst stories, I still have hope that everything will be okay. There's always something they can learn from it, something that can come out of it, if that makes sense to you. But when I do find myself, I'm really drained. Usually I have to look inwards and check in with myself and say, look, what am I not doing right? Why am I being impacted? I know this is the way life is. So Yes, I have. And a lot of people have asked me that, but I, I try to manage it as much as I can. Tough job. Very. I mean, just by virtue of what you're exposed to, you know, us non-therapists right. aren't exposed to that. You know when we're exposed to that? Watching a horror movie. Right. It just occurred to me right now. Yeah. Like I watch a horror movie, I love horror, but then I, you know, I, I struggle sleeping that night. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to limit. I feel therapists become slightly desensitized, you know, because we're exposed to it so much that you realize how, you know, ugly the world can be and how difficult it can be. But even when it's difficult and even when it's ugly, you can still find the light, you can still find the beauty and it's helping them find that beauty. And that's why to avoid the sort of burnout, I do keep my life very separate from my work. I don't talk about my work outside of the office. I don't have social media that if you go to my, there's nothing on therapy or psychology. I switch off once I'm out of that office. And if I'm withdrawing from my husband and kids, which I do sometimes when I feel overwhelmed, they understand it. I've communicated it with them. I'll contact my therapist. Um, I'll see a healer. I'll do whatever I need to to get myself back up. But, but yeah, it can be tough at times. Do you feel like it's two separate lives? Maybe in a sense. <laughs> why, why did, why, why did do... that come off in a negative way? When people say you have two separate lives, you know, we take it as 
I, I didn't mean it that way. No, no, I know what you meant. Like you I know what you uh, meant. Two different hats. Yes. Yeah, I have more than two hats. I have several hats. Um, wouldn't say two different lives. I just keep the lives separate. Uh, as much as I can. You have to. And I've and I've worked on that. It wasn't always like that. I used to give my clients my number. I'd wake up in the morning. I'd have 15 missed calls and messages. <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to enjoy my morning with my family. I've definitely learned that lesson. You know, so I, I really keep it separate. It's still part of my life. And I care so much for my clients. And I love what I do. But I have to keep it separate for my sake and for my family's sake. Yeah. Thanks. But I have to say, being a therapist has made me a much better person. Better. And I was going to ask oh, you, stronger as well? Much stronger. Yeah. Yeah. But how how better? I'm I'm sure, but I, can you just, just go into a bit more detail on that? Uh, I guess it's made me better because, first of all, I do see what goes on in the world. So I'm very grateful for what I have. It makes me count my blessings. Yes. Also, it really makes me want to be a better person um i want to help myself to be able to help others uh, it's taught me patience um i just i just believe that with all the exposure that i've had and the experiences that i've had it's really pushed me to be the best version of myself and i stress on myself not comparing myself to anyone else so, yeah, I'd say it, it's made me better just yeah. generally. Yeah. And I've worked on myself. Yeah. I've worked on myself a lot. So, truly, I mean, blessings. You know, Blessing. you touched on that you word. You have to count your blessings. Yeah. People forget to, to be grateful and thankful. And, you know, do you? Do you wake up in the morning and think, oh, I am so grateful for my wife, for my, for my son for my job for you know we we lose sight of that we take things we for do. granted and i have to say that's something that this job makes me do yeah. reminds me to count my blessings being exposed to people from different walks of life mm. so count your blessings tomorrow starting tomorrow every morning definitely i think that that is is, is a route to happiness yeah really appreciating what you, what have, you have because all it takes just that is that, but it can all just, yeah. not to sound cynical and, and depressing, but it can all just disappear in one second. Just like that. Yeah. I, I, I have um, value and I'm grateful for my car when it's in service. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of work and the realm of therapy and, uh, and everything you do professionally, what grounds you? you know, how do you take a break from all of that? What allows you to keep a, a balanced life? Um, I surround myself with good people, family, friends. I have a great support system, alhamdulillah. Great husband, children, um, parents. Uh, just, I feel blessed with that. So I, I definitely turn to them. I exercise a lot. <laughs> Anyone that knows me knows how much I love to exercise. What do you do? I do everything. I do all kinds of things. Uh, Nothing specific. You just do the I whole. do everything. Nice. I do everything. But everyone's different, right? It's everyone's different. So it could be art, could be journaling, um, keeping a diary, reading. I mean, I, I, I obviously do all those things too. But singing for me is something that I have started to do in the last two years and I'm enjoying it a lot. <laughs> Meditation, that's mm. something that is recommended a lot. For sure. How has that changed your life? 
I haven't always had uh, a good relationship with meditation. It took me a while to get into it, but because I know the benefits, I forced it. And I have to say, I am so thankful and grateful that I have. Because when you meditate, it not only increases your awareness of yourself, you're present, you feel connected to you as a person, but at the same time, in your brain, it actually makes a huge difference. You know, the, the cell volume in your amygdala, which is the part of the brain that's in, uh, you know, processes emotions of anxiety and fear, it decreases. So it allows you to really just take in this moment and enjoy and, and taking that time out. It's, it's, it's wonderful. You seem like a very happy person, mashallah, inshallah, mm -hmm. always. Mm -hmm. Is there anything out there that terrifies you, scares you something that when you are encountered with it, you're like, my mm. God, not this again. And don't say scary movie. No. <laughs> I think what terrifies me, and it roots back to when I was a child, is loss, death. Mm. That's something I have a hard time dealing with with my clients too. You know, I know it's a part of life and it's inevitable. But it's a really sad part of life. And it's not something we can control. But instead of worrying about it and fearing it, I think, okay, I look around me and I think, okay, this is, you know, I have this, I have these people now, I have my life. I, let me maximize on that rather than worry about losing someone. Let me make the most while I do have that time, going back to that appreciation. So I would say loss. Loss is very difficult because it's the one thing no one can control. Did you lose someone at a young age? No. Alhamdulillah. So then why are you scarred from it? Uh, it's not that I was scarred. Uh, I was a pretty anxious child when I was younger. I was very anxious uh, and I used to worry. And it was triggered by a fire that... Um, I was a young kid, and uh, my dad came in the middle of the night to pick me out of my bed. All of us ran outside, and there was a fire in the house. And that definitely triggered my um, anxiety. And it's something that I suffered with, for when, but I didn't even know what I had. No one talked about it. I, I just know that I used to go into my parents' bed till I was 12 years old every single night. I'd lie in bed crying that some, something might happen to my family, something might happen to me. So I didn't realize what I had until I got into this. therapy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was quite an anxious child. You therapists are very secretive. You, you don't like saying who you work with. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're like, well, I don't like where this is going. Exactly. <laughs> What's something that uh, we don't know about you, Lena? Give us, give us the scoop on, on Lena. Oh. What you don't know about me. I mean, it's not that exciting, but um, I would say that I was an extremely shy and anxious child. A lot of people don't see that, don't believe it. Uh, and that was part of the reason why it drove me to want to change myself. I didn't like it. It limited me. I missed out on a lot of opportunities. So around people I'm very close to, Growing up, I was very outgoing. But in new situations, new people, I would just withdraw and go silent. I wouldn't be able to talk. Sometimes people would think I was arrogant, but it wasn't the case at all. 
I would try out for things, stand up on stage and nothing would come out. Uh, presentations, I would ask the people in the group to, to present for me and I'd sit there in the back giggling and it would be, you know, they'd see me as someone who was just mischievous and um, disrespectful and it wasn't like that. It was more, I didn't know how to deal with what I was going through at the time. So I would say shy, hmm. um, anxious, but I am living proof that you can change. You know, you face... Uh, your limitations and you work on it, you desensitize them and you can achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. That's really important for everyone to know, not to just give in to how you were, how you are. Set, set goals for yourself and work towards them. Anyone can change. On a scale of introvert, extrovert, extrovert mm. being a 10, mm introvert being a one mm -hmm. in terms of outgoing this and how you call yourself where do you see yourself on that there is something in the middle right Me yeah metavert yes uh, what i would say is i am uh when i was younger i would say i was more four three mm. towards intro yeah but as i've gotten older i would say maybe i'm about seven Eight. I still have moments where you'll find I withdraw, I stay quiet. Too many people talking at the same time, or I'll, I'll withdraw a little bit. You gravitate towards more meaningful conversations than absolutely, and I like the one-on-ones. Yeah, that's you. I mean, that's your. That's, that, I mean, yeah, it's your habitat. <laughs> that is my habitat, yeah, and yeah. I guess that's part of the reason why I was drawn to that. But I, I do like tapping into. Um, people you know uh, going deep yeah. with them and really having meaningful conversations so this hopefully is within your oh this is great <laughs> minus the cameras <laughs> no but this is great this is great i mean this has been really wonderful i've loved it i'm glad i'm so happy to have had the opportunity to be here today and you know what i know this is something that you haven't done so for you to to put yourself out there and and and, and come on this a, bravo, got outside your comfort zone. Do one thing every day that scares you. For sure. And and B, maybe this is just the start of many more podcasts that you do. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and he, you know when you when you put yourself out there and you do something that you wouldn't normally do, it just it adds a different, you level up. Yes. You have like okay yes. another building block on top. Yes. But I, I do want to touch on something that we haven't touched is, you know, coming, you know, leading up to today, I did have that critical voice, you know. Uh, as I told you, I wasn't feeling at my best. And when you're not feeling at your best, this nagging voice creeps up into your head <laughs> and starts feeding you with the most appalling, negative, um, self-sabotaging thoughts that we tend to believe is the truth. And we listen to it. And the more we listen to it, the more power it has over us. And it really can limit our progress, um, experiences. You know, anytime you step outside of that comfort zone, that, that voice starts feeding you and yeah. manipulating you and, and just wants to hold you back. It thinks that, you know, it tricks you into believing that's protecting you, but it's actually hurting you. So this is something that I believe is so impo important to, to touch on, talk about, because it's something I see every single day in my office. 
And that critical voice can be dealt with. You know, we all have it. And maybe the only people who don't have it are, are narcissists. <laughs> but pretty much everyone has a critical voice. So what do we do about it? How do we deal with it? Where does it come from? So these are important questions uh, that I, I believe um, need to be touched on. How, do you have a critical voice? Yeah, it, it, uh, the last two days, um, I've heard it uh, a lot more frequently. Critical voice. Why do you think that is? Because um, I'm self-critical. I'm my biggest critic. Nobody could tell me anything about me that I haven't told myself. Mm. I, uh, I, I, I really beat myself up. But do you think it's coming from you? Because it is coming from you today. Yep. But where does it originally come? Whose voice, and you don't have to answer that, but whose voice is that? You know, usually the critical voice originates in our childhood. Mm. And it's messages internalized from parents from caregivers, from teachers, that we internalize and make it our own and we believe it to be true and we're driven by it. So it is so important to identify whose voice is that? Is that mm. my voice? Where is it coming from? Yeah. I, I know where it's coming from. In school, mm. we were, especially in, in England, uh, we were categorized in terms of abilities. Right. And in five math classes, I was in number five being the weakest, mm. which is funny, actually, because what you're doing is you're putting the best with the best and the mediocres and the mediocres and the most challenged with the most challenged. So you're, you're eliminating the element of the good rubbing off those who aren't and being picked up. So I have a question mark over that uh, that approach. Hmm. Is segregating, categorizing based on intelligence or mathematic abilities. Right. So maybe that was an element that made me feel that, uh, you know, I am not as smart as I am or I, uh, you know, I have self-doubt. Hmm. And this came from the age of 11. Right. Uh, so, yeah, you know, looking back in childhood, I think that definitely affected. I, I hope to God that's not the same way that it school. Still is. It I'm still is. I was just about to say. I have a problem with that. My girls go to a British school and they definitely have them in different levels. Yeah, based on... Uh, well, the, the older, the year seven plus, they, they are in different levels and it's five levels. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think, but it's, it's important also to help, you know, your child look at that, that it's not such a bad thing, if yeah. anything... You know, it's kind of to help them. You know, for you, you were on your own dealing. So this was your own inner battle, but you never talked about it. Mm. But how do you deal with the critical voice? It deals with me. Right. And I just like wish that some days it wouldn't come. Will this podcast be successful? Mm. I did it for, I've been doing it for a year and a half, your episode 48. Ooh. What's Lucky will it be around for episode 70, 80, 100? Is it going to be successful? Is it going to grow? These things are on my mind. Right. Am, am I a good podcaster? Am I a good question asker? Can I be better? Am, am I getting better? Am I getting worse? You know, so there is, right. yeah. yeah. You know what I wish? Uh, I wish I can hear the negatives. So I went to Al Ula a week ago. 
the number of people that came up to me and they're like, you, you're the Mo Show. Or my friends, Mo, by the way, amazing. Or my friends introducing me to those who I don't know. Oh, this is Mo from the Mo Show. They're like, oh, of course we know him. We love what you do. It's amazing what you do. Great. I wish I can, and you know, I hope I know what I'm wishing for. <laughs> but I would like to to see the flip side of it where, oh, you're Mo from the Mo Show. Can I tell you what I didn't like about episode this? I would be all ears. Constructive give, criticism. Give it to me, yes, mm. because that's going to help me improve. Right. But you're more of the motion. Oh, we love this episode. Oh, we love what you did. Oh, we, oh, we. Can I get an autograph? Can I get a picture? I got that. Who am I to give autographs or pictures? You know, I'm it's just, amazing. Though. I'm just. I'm, I'm no. I'm no. I'm, you are doing a great job. But but like I'm just, I'm just starting off, and right. and I want to be better, and I can only be better with constructive criticism. But you have to take it step by step, Mo. You're thinking of episode 70. Think of now. How can I do better today or in my next episode rather than am I going to be around? In Nobody knows what's going to happen. Yeah. The critical voice has no clue what's going to happen. It acts like it does. It, it, it sneaks into our minds when we're physically and emotionally depleted and starts whispering these awful things to us. And because we're emotionally depleted or tired or not in a good state of mind, we listen to it. And when we listen to it, it takes control. And the more we listen, the bigger and, and, and louder it becomes. So what do you do about it? This is important. And I really feel that clients need to know, people need to know that something can be done. You don't have to be controlled by the critical voice. You need to control the critical voice. So how do I silence it? It's not about silencing it. It's about understanding where it comes from and making peace with it in a sense. So what I normally do is the first thing is educate them on what's happening in their brain. Second thing, we name it to tame it. So we give it a name so that we separate ourselves from it. So sometimes people give me their mother's name <laughs> or their husband's name. I'm like, no, no, no. We need something that has no association to anyone. So, you know, I get Jafar, I get black, I get, so we name it. Then we visualize what it can look like. So it, be, it becomes less scary. So when we name it, first of all, oh, I don't, oh, sorry, I moved away. When we name it, it gives, uh, we're no longer afraid of it. I know what it is. It's just a critical voice that's trying to bring me down. If I was to take these thoughts out of my head, what are they, what are they telling you? Tell me, what do critical, what does it tell you? You're not, you're not good enough. You're not going to succeed. You know, it acts like it knows everything and that it's psychic. It, it knows what's in the future. Question marks. Lots of question marks. Mm. So why are we giving so much weight and, and, and focus on question marks when we know what's happening in our lives right now? Okay, so it's important for us to separate ourselves from it. Look at it like this is an illness. As long as I listen to it, I'm going to be ill. So I need to keep it separate. So give it a name. Visualize what it looks like. You can even give it a funny voice. Whatever you want where you feel I'm the one in control. Once you do that and you've named it and it's under your control, it's important to challenge it, not just to make it disappear. You have to challenge it. Ask yourself. Where is this coming from? Is this the truth? Am I going to fail at episode 70? Uh, does it know the future? Is this an old habit, an old story? Okay. Once you've established that, 
you go on to the, what do I want to feel? How can I change it? What do I, I need to visualize what it is that I want. If I want to succeed, I need to visualize succeeding. Visualize. Create your future through the mind and body connection. Okay. So these are, you know, there are ways to, to quiet down that voice. Mm -hmm. So that's something I, I actually really enjoy doing with my clients. And I'm human. I, I get the critical voice too, but I don't allow it to control me. Taming it is, is really a challenge. Name to tame. Name to tame. Name to tame. That's a, that's a good takeaway from, from, from how to deal with that voice name it and then tame it and then you can con control it eventually mm. yeah. it's like we control our kids no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we name them we could we own them <laughs> i'm not kidding no, no. <laughs> so we, we we spoke about you know what scares you something people don't know about you and i want to flip it onto a positive at what point in your life mm. lena mm. do you feel most filled and alive and ready to conquer I have to say when I, you know, if it's work-wise, seeing my clients who had it really tough and hard and didn't believe in themselves, watching their journey and, and seeing um, the changes, it's just incredible and makes me so happy. You know, I, I get a message from a client down the line saying, you really helped me, thank you, or you're part of this uh, success story. And it, it just, I have to say, that's very, very rewarding. Makes me feel great. Climbing a mountain, <laughs> adventure. Um, I took on gymnastics recently. So I wanted to start flipping again. I found this great coach. Unfortunately, he left now. But when he was here, he, he taught, and I was flipping. I was doing, you know, doing something different and new. It's, it's, it, it exhilarates me. Being around my, my husband, my kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my family. The outdoors, climbing at all? Have you tried that? Climbing properly? No, I've 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 um, hiked. Hiked. Yeah. yeah, we did the three peaks. Okay. It was extremely difficult. Uh, that shower after was the best. Shower. I mean, we were on the bus, you know, waterless toothbrushes and wipes. I mean, it was it was it was pretty. It was pretty. Uh, yeah. Uh, not not uh, great at the time, but the feeling that you get afterwards is exhilarating. Yeah. It's incredible. That shower. <laughs> I that still shower. remember that shower. Mm. And thank God it was a really nice big shower. Um, the, yeah. the harder you work for, for, for something, the, the more fulfilling that rest time is. Oh, for sure. Um, Delayed gratification yeah. is key. And God. this generation definitely does not know what that's like. Quick fixes mm. is, is how we operate. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm in Generation Z's category as well. Mm. We, we want quick fixes. Yeah, but you can change that. Like, you know, if I want, I, I, of course you can, for sure. Delivery apps, they bother the hell out of me. Yeah. It's like that. Back in the day, you'd have to get into the car, drive, and you know, you know what, I'm not going to get in the car and drive. And now it can come to you. It's a problem. Yeah. Reading this book called Atomic Habits. Mm, part of it. And, and um, one that he touches on that, he's like, delete instagram and then in my mind i'm like okay then i can also delete the delivery apps yeah and in order to order again i'm gonna to have to reinstall it so that's 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 something an extra step i'm gonna to have to go to maybe i won't order because i don't want to you know have to download the app and then log in again and then 
he was talking about how people with uh, addiction to TV and, and, and movies, mm. one way to get rid of that habit would be to take the TV out of the living room and put it in the closet. Right. You'd, you'd have time away from the TV in order to watch it. You're going to have to go into the closet, carry it, put it in a <laughs> plug it. So, so, so there's something that, yeah, yeah. That's an extreme case, yes, but, yeah. but, but make it harder for yourself to do the easy things that you would normally do. Right. Click of a button, boom, I boom, like boom. That. I've got a large cheese pizza on the way. Mm. Because it's too easy to get at these. It's too easy. Lena, from all the things that you've been through in your life, mm. uh, would you say that you have any regrets? Do you have regrets? <laughs> or are you a person that lives without regrets? So I could probably give you a list of potential regrets um, based on experiences I've had. But what I don't, or what I didn't know, was that there is a reason why I had those experiences. Uh, they made me who I am. You know, without these failures, mistakes, I wouldn't have learned the lessons. And I feel it's really built a lot of character and, and made me the person that I am. So no, I have no regrets. That's the healthy approach. Right. Because at one point in your life, you wanted to do that. Yes. And you did it for a reason. Yes. For better or worse, for for stupider or, or smarter. I wanted to do that so I shouldn't have regret. Learn from it. Right. Be better. Valuable but, lessons. But don't go back and, and dwell. Right. Usually we dwell on the things we didn't do. That's true. Yeah. So it's better to say I tried, I tested, I've come out okay, but maybe I probably wouldn't do it again. Mm healthy I, I i i'm very tough on myself again as far as i'm concerned this is not not a podcast this is a therapy session <laughs> i'm very tough on myself on on looking back and saying mo you sh you you should have done this or you should have done that or you didn't do this or you didn't do that mm. you know but it's just it just weighs down on you for no reason for sure and you know what you are in the public eye now this is something scary. No, it's something that you need to tackle and take care of. Because if you don't, it, it, it could be something that could end up hurting you. So it is something that I would recommend that you look into dealing with that. Because once you're in the public eye, you're going to have all kinds of opinions and, mm. you know, as you grow. And it is really important to have your own and not be so impacted. I'll be honest with you publicly. Hmm. I was a lot more sensitive about what people thought about me before I started this. Hmm. And the first couple of months was tough. And you know, when you just become used to put yourself out there and you're going to get the good and the bad. And people's opinions of the show don't affect me the way they did the first two or three months. Hmm. Were told like I like negative comment. I used to delete it and report. <laughs> Excuse me. The, no, now, say whatever you want about me. Yeah. I, I'll I'll keep it up there. You're entitled to your opinion. Good. And um and it's what that's not where I win. Where I win is that I'm carrying that into my life. Mm. I don't care about what you think about me. Three four years ago, if person A doesn't like me. In my mind, I'm like, what do I have to do to get person A to like me? Mm. This is a disaster. I'm a people pleaser. Maybe I still am. But if you don't like me, that's your problem. Right. I'm happy with myself. Good. 
So I think that also that the feeling of building something to some degree mm. has given me gratification and validation to feel that I don't care what you think about me. I've got, you know, that the people that enjoy what I do and have given me, um, you know, like compliments far out outweigh the, the negatives. But more importantly, I think because you enjoy it and you feel good about it, mm -hmm. that you're not easily affected by people. If you weren't, you would probably absorb the, that negativity like this. But now that you're feeling more confident in it, you're happy with sure. what you're doing, sure. mashallah, your progress, in such a short period of time, the way you've taken off, mashallah, yeah. alik, really. Yeah. Thank you. You should be proud of yourself. I appreciate We're it. We're also proud of you. It means a lot coming from you. Really, it's, it's true. Ah, Lena, before I let you go, I know we've had you here for way, way longer than you have uh, uh, wished to be on here for. Uh, Lena, if uh, you had the attention for uh, society or the country or the region in some capacity for 30 seconds or so, uh, is there a message that you'd like to send out? <laughs> That's so much pressure. Uh, but but I mean, no, I know, I, I I know what you're what you're asking. I'm thinking, yeah. So, what know. advice would I give the world? If you had their attention, if the if whole I... world looked at Lena for, you know what? <laughs> if the whole world stopped what they were doing and looked at Lena, oh, <laughs> actually, oh, no. for for twenty seconds, mm. and they're like, Lena, go. What would what would your advice if you had all the ears of humanity? Okay, I would probably say because this is something that I feel everyone needs to to do in a sense is if you have a problem or there's something that's stressing you out, rather than just focus on the stress or the problem, focus on uh, ways to improve it. You know, a lot of the times we just focus on the problem and it just plays over and over and over and over and we're not coming up with any sort of plan or change. Focus on what, you know, ask yourself, what can I do to make this better? Stop wasting your time just thinking over and over about the same thing. We all have situations that are difficult. So I'd say that was that fine. It's amazing. Really? You touched on what Seneca's famous... Uh, proverb was we suffer more in imagination than, than in reality mm, well that's true stop overthinking it you stop just over no stop overthinking it and actually come up with some sort of plan mm. that's the thing i have people that complain all the time but it's like <laughs> it's just the same thing over and over it becomes their script the, what can i do about it yeah. so I, I really feel that's important treat people how you want to be treated i mean i have so much advice but that's a bit typical. So I would say the first one I said, right? But sometimes, that, no, for sure. There, cut this there is no, no, we're not cutting it. No, no, you're um, cutting this part. Why? This part. We're, we're, no, no, cut this part. <laughs> cut. Uh, sometimes the, the, the cliche are the ones that really hit home the most. I mean, yeah. there's a reason why they're cliche because they're overused. Yeah. Yeah. Treat people how you want to be treated. I mean, if humanity abided by that, Lena, <laughs> the world would be a better place. Really we probably is. wouldn't be so scared about how the world our kids are growing up in. Exactly. exactly. <sighs> there's, there's so much out there that we truly, can do. Truly, truly. Um, yeah, we can just be the best, try to be the best version yeah. of yourself. Yeah. Do good for yourself and to others. For real. Thank you. You are so welcome. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. I don't know. Really? I, I mean... This, this was great. 
It was really great. I think there's a lot of gems in this episode mm. that can like uplift people's so souls. I hope so. Because I feel we, I don't even know what we've spoken about. But um, I hope so. I look forward to, to seeing it. Yes, uh, not, two not, thumbs up. Not, not, not more than me. <laughs> not more than me. Honestly, Lena, yeah, I mean, uh, again, people in your capacity, I feel, are, are, are the best. Because you guys are out to help people. Yeah. We try, you know, and um, uh, and I admire, I admire you, like I admire doctors, mm. um, for for doing what you do, Thank because you. you have to deal with our problems. Yeah, goodness gracious, I'm going to give you a call tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, you're so uh, we kept you here, a testament to you know how much knowledge and information and stories you have, way longer than we thought. Uh, we've been shooting for close to maybe two hours and a half, if I'm not mistaken, two hours and forty-five minutes. Um, and thank you for opening up on many things, general, personal, and uh, for the questions you asked me. And thank you for being you and and uh, letting me be comfortable. You really brought out. You know, that, that side of me that needed to come out, that comfortable, relaxed side, because I wasn't that relaxed I'm when glad, I first started. But thank you so much. Is there anything that we haven't uh, covered? Is there something that you want to put out um, before we let you go? I think, I, we, mean, I think we covered it. I think, and yeah, in the yeah. amount of times we, uh, yeah. we covered it. <laughs> I think we're good. I think you're going to have to, you know, puzzle together different uh, yeah, yeah. parts of we this. Will. Yeah, we will. Thanks so much. And alhamdulillah, salam with Corona. Allah, It's... You know, we, we the majority of us had to deal with it, but at least you had some alone time. Yeah, and we shouldn't be so afraid of it we anymore. Shouldn't. Yeah, we've we been shouldn't. vaccinated two to three times. Halas, get yeah, on with it. Good. Let's live our lives. Life goes on. Life goes on. Thanks sure. again, Lena. You're welcome. All Thank, the best. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.